1: Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answer answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Our guest today is Dave Stachowiak. Dave is the founder of Coaching for Leaders, and he hosts the podcast with the same name. Dave is a leadership expert, and he has been featured in Forbes and U.S. News & World Report. He was a senior vice president with Dale Carnegie of Southern Los Angeles and has led training programs for top organizations like the United States Air Force and Boeing. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And today, Dave is going to share some of those secrets behind how leaders can be more persuasive in the workplace. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview.
2: Dave, thanks for joining us today. Kwame, so glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No, it's a pleasure to have you.
1: I've been on your show twice, so it's about time that I return the favor. It's
2: about time. (laughs) (laughs) It's been fun. I'm so glad you came on. Thanks for allowing me to to join you as well. (laughs) Perfect. Well, uh, how about we get
1: started by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do?
2: Sure. I am the host of the Coaching for Leaders podcast and the founder of the Coaching for Leaders Academy. And my job is to help leaders discover wisdom through insightful conversations and have been doing that since 2011.
1: Fantastic. And I will, for the listeners, everybody, Dave is very humble. So I'll go ahead and and brag for him. Coaching for Leaders is one of the best podcasts out there. It is always highly ranked by iTunes. And so if you are at all interested in leadership or aspire to be a leader, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend you checking that podcast out. Well, thanks, Kwame. I so
2: appreciate it. My pleasure.
1: Perfect. So how about we jump into the materials? I know there are three principles of persuasive leadership that you wanted to talk about today.
2: Well, there's so many great ways to be more influential. And I think maybe even before diving into the three, Kwame, it, it might make sense just to look at this from the 30,000 foot view a bit, especially when I think about leadership. The The leadership of yesterday, as in when our parents were in organizations and leading teams and their parents, the leadership of yesterday was about position and title and about having answers and also a lot about hierarchy and reporting to certain people. And the leadership of today in most organizations, in most industries, has really changed from that fairly substantially. Today, it's much more about influence without authority. Not that there isn't authority still out there in the workplace, and everyone, if you ask anyone, they know who the people with authority are in their organizations, but it has become much more complex. Uh, it used to be that it was really easy to point to the person you answer to, and these days, if you ask someone who their boss is, they, may, they will often name a name but they they also will say, you know, there's four or five or six or 10 or three dozen stakeholders that I answer to on any given day because you're collaborating across the organization. You're interacting with customers and stakeholders and patients and whatever the category of person is you're interacting with. And for most of us, that's a, that's a whole bunch of categories of people. And that has become the new norm. So while hierarchy still definitely exists It is much more, you're seeing a lot more of the dotted line relationships. You're seeing a lot more of influence without authority. And that's why I think this skill set we're talking about today of how to influence more effectively becomes even more important in today's organization and organizations and industries. That's a brilliant point. And...
1: I really love this from a, a persuasive strategy point of view, too, because in any of these situations, we need to recognize kind of what game we're playing, who are the players and, and what the rules of engagement are. And I think within these larger organizations, it would be easy to get lost and, and not recognize what game we're playing. And so I think this, uh, this perspective is helpful just from a, like you said, a 30,000-foot view to get a lay of the land or encourage people to get a, an accurate lay of the land before they start trying to persuade
2: willy nilly. Yeah, indeed. And a lot of leaders traditionally relied on access to more information and having answers as a way to influence and to tap into authority. And in the digital world, that just isn't the case as much anymore. It's still the case a little bit, and it depends of course on organization and industry, but gone are the days that people don't know what's going on in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> or in your organization. I mean you can go on Google and find out just about anything. And so this this place of us seeing leadership as and leaders as the people with answers. I have seen a substantial shift, especially in the last 10, 15 years to the best leaders are really not the folks with all the answers, but they're the folks with the best questions. And I think that's going to lead into a bunch of what we'll talk about today.
1: And you, for the listeners out there who have been listening for a while, you know why I'm excited because I love asking questions. Curiosity really is the key when it comes to persuasion and communicating in general. So I'm really glad to hear you say that.
2: Well, and and you are so gifted at this, Kwame. It's one of the reasons this show has become so popular and your work is such an, in such demand because um, it is it really this skill set that a lot of us never learned. I certainly never got much formal training uh, until was well along in my professional journey on how to ask questions, (laughs) how to be curious. Uh, And I think that's true for most people, right? Uh, We don't, we never got training on or how to be influential without authority. If you ever took a class on that, it was one class and it was just one piece of a larger curriculum. Uh, This is a struggle for a lot of us. Right. And what's really
1: fascinating and fun for me about it is the, the fact that it's a never-ending game of self-improvement because there there are levels to this game, as people would say. Last week, I read a book called How to Find Out Anything from Anybody at Any Time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was uh, written by a former interrogator. And after reading that book, I felt like I've never, I, I had never asked a good question in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> he, oh, he took it to such an incredible level, and so if with this show, I, I just try to keep on getting deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, so I could help people out when it comes to utilizing their curiosity in a way that's more persuasive and leads to better outcomes.
2: Yeah, indeed, indeed. And and you asked me about some of the the tactics for doing this. Um, and the first one. Kind of leads into another big change that we've seen in the world and has certainly affected a lot of leaders in a lot of organizations, which is the traditional way that we think about work has really changed in the last decade or two. It used to be that you went and worked for an organization for your entire career, or if not, it was 10 or 15 or 20 years of your career, and it was it was considered odd if you only worked somewhere for a couple of years and then moved positions or if you went and started your own business, that was great, but you better be successful doing it because if you started your own business, you better not try to go back into the corporate workforce and try to find a job after that because people didn't think you were able to work in a large organization again. And I am thrilled that a lot of that thinking has changed, not everywhere. And and there's obviously different nuances set in different places, but for the most part, that has really changed. It's much more accepted now to move around, to try different things, to go out and freelance, to come back, to do some consulting, even to go in academia and come back. I've seen People make all kinds of shifts. I was just talking to a guy at our church last weekend. He was a full time professor, tenure the whole bit, and decided to leave and go back into industry. I, I think that's the kind of thing that a you know, decade ago you wouldn't hear about hardly ever happening. And today that's much more accepted. And that leads into one of the first things that I think is so important for leaders today is to find out what people want, especially if you're leading a team and you have this privileged opportunity to put together a team and help people to achieve something great in an organization is to really take the next step and find out what's going on with people and what do they want to achieve in the coming years and maybe even in their careers as a whole. I
1: love this point because when it comes to people's positions as, as leaders, I think a lot of times, just as people in general, it's easy for us to try to look into the future and our our forecasts are, are impacted significantly by our biases, our self serving biases. And so from our perspectives we might have we might believe that we have a good understanding of what somebody else might want. And that's going to be flavored by what we want. <laughs> so yeah. it leads to inaccurate predictions. And so like you said, we want to figure out what they want. But if you already believe you know that, it's going to dampen your curiosity. So what do you think leaders can do to find out what people truly want out of their time at a company?
2: Well, I think there's two things. Um, The, the thing that holds people back from doing this is one, they don't know how to do it. And then secondly, they're afraid of what they're going to hear. So let me address the first one, not knowing how to do it. Again, speaking of like what we all learned how to do, most of us didn't learn how to talk to people about their careers and where they've been and what they want to do next. And so um, there, uh, a gentleman who came on to our show a while back his name is named Russ Laraway. He has really put together what I think is an incredibly useful model for how leaders can have career conversations with their employees. and or whoever's on their team. And and it starts with talking about where people have been, what's their history, what have they what kind of positions have they had before? Even going back to their schooling and what were things they did well and what were things they enjoyed doing. And he advocates for that because we want to get to know our employees our contractors, you know, even in some cases, maybe our customers and our clients. We want to get to know them as people. We want to know what really drives them when they made significant changes in their lives, like what led to those changes, because that helps us to identify what they value and what they care about. And so he's got this great model of having a series of three conversations of figuring out where people have been, where they're going in the future, and then putting together an action plan to help them to get there. And that leads to the second point, which is the fear that a lot of leaders have on doing this. So one of it is not knowing what to do. But the fear I think that a lot of people have is that I'm going to sit down with my employee And I'm going to ask them about what they want to do for the future. And if I do a good job at developing trust over time and uh, opening up a space where they feel comfortable having that conversation with me, that they're going to say some version of, I don't plan to be here in three years, or I want to start my own business in five years, or I'm doing this side gig right now, the side hustle, and I'm working on actually turning that into a thing. And that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of us have traditionally heard as managing a team. And it's really caused us to panic a bit and say, like, oh, wow, what am I going to do if this person's going to leave in two or three years? Like, why would I like how am I going to start to work around that problem? Do I want to invest time and help and develop that person? All those kinds of fear based things that come up. And. In in the world that we live in now, where people are going to do that anyway, I want to know that if I'm leading a team. I want to know if someone is planning to make a transition in a couple of years to, say, for example, start their own business or maybe move into an entirely different industry because chances are they're going to do that anyway. So in the meantime, what can I do as a leader? that's going to support them in developing the skills to make that transition. And if I'm smart, think about the job they're doing in our organization today, what skills that we need, what kinds of things that are on our task list and are part of the job description for them, or maybe a related job description that that are going to help them to develop that skill. And how can I, as a leader, link those together and say, hey, you know, I am going to, I'm gonna ask you to be doing this project over the next six months. Here's the four or five key things that are gonna be important if you're working on this project. And oh, by the way, the goal you have four years from now, here's how those four or five skills are gonna really help you to get there. And if I can put those together and make those connections, I have now engaged someone that's a lot more likely to be excited to come to work, to put in all their effort, to help us to perform as an organization, and when they do leave, say wonderful things about me, <laughs> the organization, and probably help uh, to identify who their successor would be. And 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 that's the kind of person that I want to engage with in the workplace today, so that you know we can really help people to get to where they're going, and at the same time help the organization.
1: Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat.
0: Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. I
1: think that's a great point. And essentially what this boils down to is you're suggesting that leaders engage in win-win negotiations. Yeah. (laughs) You have to... Take some time, investigate, figure out what the wants and needs are of the other party and then see how you can blend
2: those things together. Yes, and I know that there are people listening to this who are... Have heard what I just said and are thinking I could never say that to my boss in my organization, that I will get thrown under the bus, that the politics just don't allow for that where I work. And to you, I say, I know. I know there are organizations where this is not possible to do, where the politics don't allow for this. That said, many of us either if we're in this position now or have the privilege to be in a position where we can influence others and head up a team or head up a project. I think this is a wonderful place to aspire to.
1: What if you are a manager who is open-minded and not intimidated by that information, but you are trying to get your employees to open up and feel as though they can trust you enough with that information? What do you suggest that managers do to increase that feeling of psychological safety in those conversations.
2: Yeah, this is, uh, and I'm so glad you used the term psychological safety because that's a big part of this is do I have comfort that if I share something in the organization that people are not going to use that against me? And as a manager, as a leader, you need to demonstrate that. So you, first of all, need to be the person that leads, by example, so that you share things. You share some of the doubts you have. Maybe you share some of the things you're struggling with. You share mistakes that you've made. You share some of your career plans long-term and what you're thinking about and where you're heading. And it's a process of, over time, demonstrating to the people that work with you that this is a safe place to talk about these things. Um, And then when people do that, that information isn't used against them that you don't then go into someone else's office and say well so and so told me they're leaving and you know 3 years from now <laughs> right, right. we shouldn't consider them for this next opportunity right so uh, there's there's an there's a there's an art to doing this well of course there's always subtleties we need to navigate around organizational politics but it is a it's an ongoing process it's not a one time event and by the way for those who want to get better at creating psychological safety In their organizations, Uh, the work of Amy Edmondson out of Harvard is a wonderful place to start. She has a new book out called The Fearless Organization. And there's so many wonderful practical examples for leaders on how they can begin to create a space for that. And the thing that I love that her research shows is that even if you work in an organization that is not a very safe place to do that. There is a lot you can do as an individual leader to still create psychological safety at least amongst your team, the area you have influence over. And and it's it's fascinating. There's tons of there's tons of evidence that even the best organizations vary quite a bit as far as psychological safety within individual teams. And so there's a lot that we can do as individual leaders to still influence a positive environment even if that isn't the large organization around us.
1: I love it. That's great. And that, that's a fantastic resource. So listeners who are interested, make sure you check that out. And Dave, what are some of the other things that were that you believe are important for uh, leaders to do when it comes to persuading
2: their their uh, team? Yeah, well the the second thing leads into what I said a, a bit ago which is around, you know, getting out there and connecting with others even if they're not in the organization. And I think that getting into community with other leaders is really essential to do today and technology has opened up a lot of doors for us to do this. The one of the biggest things I hear from the people I work with is that leadership becomes really lonely. I am heading up a team and I'm the person who needs to make decisions and I feel like I've got to have a lot of answers and I don't necessarily have a lot of people to turn to inside the organization because I can't talk about some stuff inside the organization or really talk about some of the things I'm struggling with because of the internal politics. Um, So I think loneliness is a really, really common, is a really common condition for a lot of leaders to experience. I know I have in a lot of the roles I've been in over the years. So getting into community with other leaders, both inside your organization organization, inside your industry, and even outside of your industry, I think does a couple of things. One is it helps you to combat the feeling of loneliness that we all experience in leadership. By the virtue of the fact you're in a leadership position, there's a, there's an element of being alone. But the other thing that it does is it gives you inevitably a lot more data points on how other people are doing things, not only from a leadership standpoint, But from an industry standpoint, problem-solving standpoint, strategy standpoint, and then if you have more of those data points, you can come back to your organization, your team, your peers and have evidence of ways that you can do work that's more effective. You know, here's some ideas that I've found at you know going to this conference or being a part of this association or being involved in this mastermind or being involved in this circle that are working for other folks in our industry, let's try this. That that's something that I think is extremely powerful in most organizations and especially with most senior leaders who tend to be facts and data kind of people, it's one thing to walk in with a new idea and to say some version of, hey, I've had this idea, I think this would really work, let's try it, versus walking in with an idea of, hey, I had this idea, Um, I think it will work, let's try it, and oh, by the way, something similar worked for three or four other organizations in our industry, and here's the results they've had because I've got relationships with a few of those people. And Kwame, it's amazing to me how much people share if you've got relationships of trust about what's going on in their organizations and what's working and also what's not working. And and it is really a wonderful place to come to the table with evidence and to be more influential amongst your team and your organization.
1: That's It's such a brilliant point that I think it's easily missed by people because you might focus on the the emotional benefit of of, uh, abandoning or not feeling abandoned and and not feeling as lonely. But the fact that you are there meeting with other people who have tried things that you're interested in trying, but might be having trouble selling in your own organization, it gives you social proof that you can utilize to be more persuasive.
2: Indeed. And anytime we come to the table with a new idea and we ask anyone to invest in it, either time-wise, emotionally, or with resources as often we're asking for in the organization, I think actually it's incumbent upon us to do as much homework as we can to find out, is this something someone else has tried? What have they done? And it's a great way to, it's a great way to become just more effective in your thinking and your strategy regardless. Plus it comes, like you said, with the emotional benefits too of getting to build relationships with others. And there's just so much good that comes out of being in community with other leaders. And there's so many good ways to do that these days. That uh, I think if you're if you don't already have some version of that, go find it, or if you need to go create it. And if and if you're willing to do that and put some effort into it, it will pay off in dividends.
1: One thing that I've started doing recently is posting questions on LinkedIn for people to answer, kind of like as a community. So some of the questions that come up often in the workshops, and so maybe for people who are in a leadership position or might want to try something, but they're having trouble finding other people who do it, even if you don't have that, like an organization or a specific person in mind, you could use LinkedIn as a tool to get gather that social proof. And like you said, accumulate more data points when it comes to your endeavors to persuade internally.
2: I love that suggestion. One of the things I am often telling our clients to do is to think, is to take smaller first steps because it's often very daunting to think about, oh, how would I start an organization or become part of a mastermind or become part of an association? Whereas what you said is something any of us could do, right? Like ask a question on LinkedIn. And then my invitation to everyone would be, once you've done that, then be willing to take the next step too. So when you get the replies from those two or three or four people or however many it is that you ask the next question and that you start a conversation and then you actually utilize that that first step as the starting point to take the second step and the third step and to keep going and to actually building relationships. So that way it doesn't just become a, a, you know, a 10 second interaction on a social network, but it mm-hmm. moves into something that's even more substantial. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's a brilliant point. Perfect. And so let's move on to number three. What is the
2: third thing that leaders can do to be more persuasive? Again, relates back to what I just mentioned. Ask the next question. We're so used to taking things at face value that we often miss the opportunity to engage in a much more substantial way. Here's an example of this, Kwame. I, I think this is culturally true in a lot of places, at least here in the United States. It, whenever I go to like our kid's school and I come across another parent who I sort of like recognize, but I don't really know, the inevitable question is, hey, how are you? Uh and then the response is, "Hey, good. How are you? Oh, doing great, right? Like it's it's that sort of like cultural thing. And really, no one is listening <laughs> <right> <laughs> to the answer. It's just what we do. It's part of our culture. I don't know where that started or why we do it. And I'm not. I don't know if it's true other places. But at least here, I think it's conditioned a lot of us to not necessarily." dive in very substantially in the first few seconds of a conversation or even the first few steps of dialogue. That said, the people who are willing to ask the next question, I think often go substantially farther. Than the person who's not willing to do that, which is most people. So if you're if you get that hi, how are you? How's it going? And then you're willing to ask the next question, you can often start a conversation. And I and I know a lot of people bristle at the the thought of doing small talk. <laughs> um and and I do too. Like I don't like small talk at all, which is one of the reasons I tend to not ask the second question. That's that's a challenge I have. But I've also recognized small talk leads to big talk. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get to a point where you're having really in-depth, influential conversations with people, you got to start with the small talk. You need to ask the, how you doing? Get to know their name. Maybe find out a little bit about them factually or their background. And that then earns you the right not to influence them, but it earns you the right to ask the next question. And if you ask the next question, then it earns you the right, and you're curious and you genuinely care, it earns you the right to ask the third question and learn a little bit more about them because most people aren't going to do that. And so if you are willing to do that, then I think as you build a relationship with someone and you show genuine curiosity, then you become the person that they are trusting. I mean, it's like we're talking about earlier, how do you develop trust? You, You demonstrate over time that you really care and you're listening to the answers. And then you ask another question that's related to that. And I think that's a, It's a really important starting point if you want to be influential.
1: Absolutely. And it reminds me about what uh, Robin Drake said in his book, The Code of Trust. He was a former FBI agent, and his job was to figure out whether or not people were selling the secrets of the United States to foreign governments. So obviously, that's information that if you aren't doing it, (laughs) you would want to keep to yourself, right? And what he found is that, In his experience, you don't get in any information in the first meeting. In fact, you don't try to get information in the first meeting. You're trying to make them feel good and feel comfortable. You get the information in the second meeting. So he takes the time to develop that relationship, to go a little bit deeper, to learn more about the person. And uh, and learn as much as possible, but not go after like the big meaty questions, because he recognizes the value of generating trust through that, through those um, kind of everyday type of interactions and conversations.
2: Exactly. You teach this too, Kwame, right? And in your book, of one of the things you've been a great teacher to me on is if you're negotiating something. Slow down. Mm hmm like slowing down is a really valuable thing to do. It's a great tactic, but also it's a wonderful place to just build a relationship with someone else and to not look at something just as a single meeting, even if it may be a one-time negotiation. But if it's important, you don't know, spend the time to take two or three or four meetings to do it if you need to, because you're going to build a relationship where you've got more trust and you're more likely to get to a space where people have really hurt each other and, you know, likely to create the win-win you talked about earlier. Absolutely.
1: And then when we're in those question in those conversations, one of the things that in, from that book I mentioned earlier, how to find out anything from anyone, anytime. One of the things that he said is to Don't abandon an issue until it's been fully exhausted because a lot of times as we're gathering this information, somebody might say something in their response that is on a different issue and we might follow that. And that might be a a common conversational pattern that doesn't seem to be problematic. But if you're intentionally trying to get information, it can be problematic because you haven't fully exhausted the, the well of information on this particular issue. And so the simple thing, two simple things that he suggested were, first of all, stick to questions that are single issue questions. So, for instance, if we're using the example of where you want to work in the future or where you see yourself going in the future, a compound question would be something like, so where do you see yourself in the future and do you think you're going to end up staying here? So that might be a, a, a question format that we see often, but it's a compound question. They Most people will just pick one of the things that you, you ask and probably the easiest one to answer, and you miss out yeah. on the other one. And then the second thing is after you get information, simply asking what else or tell me more. Yeah. That specific issue, getting as much as you can out of it.
2: Yeah, I, I love both of those pieces of advice. And on my better days when I'm really genuinely curious with someone, that's exactly what I find myself doing. One of the things being a Carnegie facilitator facilitator for years that I learned was two questions that I used all the time. One of them, and one of them's not even a question. It's more of a statement. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. I ask all the time, especially if someone says something that seems like, like they'll say something big like, oh, I want to become a better leader. There's so many different ways like that conversation could go, right? Because everyone has a different definition of what leadership means. I often find myself making the invitation, tell me more. And I, because I want to know where they're going to go because uh, I've got my definition of leadership, but that's my definition. It's not their definition. So I want to find that out. And the other question I love is just the really curious, just two words. How so? Hmm. Uh, you know, especially if someone mentions they're struggling with something or they've had an issue or, you know, I'm dealing with this issue with one of my employees right now. We're really having a hard time coming to an agreement. I find just asking like, how so? Opens up the door for them to go into detail and then kind of describe the issue in, at, at a level of detail that I didn't hear at the beginning. And it's also amazing to me how often the presenting issue is not at all what's really going on. And and I'm sure you run into this too, Kwame, that someone will say something like in my line of work, they'll say, I really am having a difficult time delegating to people and I I need to get better at that to free up my time and help people develop their skills. And and then I'll ask something like, how so? Tell me more about that. And then they'll describe something to me that sounds nothing like delegation. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, they don't have to use my language and my definition. That's about me, right? So my job is to figure out what's really going on. And and oftentimes I'll also ask, like, just so I have a clear picture, like, tell me about a time that happened. And oh, nice. then when they... When they tell me about an example, then I start thinking like, oh, they're talking about strategy or, oh, this is a human resources problem. And I don't need to like then come in and say, oh, you are actually having a human resources problem. Like, <laughs> like again, I don't, it doesn't need to be about my language. What I need to do is understand where they're at because if I understand where they're at, then I can help or I can put them in touch with the right person or I can potentially be influential in some way that'll be useful. And so I found that those when you describe those those just keeping the questions simple and short and curious opens up so much more that most people never venture into.
1: That's brilliant. And and what we're seeing here again is the you're rejecting the the tendency tendency we have in assuming we understand what people mean and what they in, in what they're saying. You're you're getting high levels of specificity with these uh, questions that you're asking. Something that I often ask is, "What do you mean by blank?" Because I realize that people define things very differently. Like in your in your example, and so getting clarity on that, where does what does that even mean <laughs> in your world? you could be surprised a lot of times. And I know that you have a call coming up <laughs> very soon. So I want to be respectful yeah. of your time. But uh, before you go, um, can you give a few uh, parting words of wisdom to the audience
2: and uh, for some things
1: that they keep it, could keep in mind when it comes to persuading in this capacity?
2: Yeah. Well, what, thank you so much. Uh, so one other resource that I'd recommend, particularly in this last point of asking the next question, the person who I think has just done brilliant work on this over the last few years and is a book that every leader in every organization should read is a book called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really built his entire professional practice and his company around helping leaders to be curious just a few minutes more. It is a fabulous read. It is the book for the rest of us on how to actually develop good coaching skills. So I'd certainly recommend that as a starting point for those of us who want to get better at this. And then uh, the other invitation I make is if you're wanting to uh, discover more leadership wisdom, uh, hop on over and uh, join us on the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Uh, We've uh, been going weekly since 2011, and uh, it's uh, it's been a it's been an amazing journey.
1: That's fantastic. Well, thank you again, Dave. This has been phenomenal. And yeah, I'm excited to have you on again because this is not going to be a one-time thing, my friend. So get ready.
2: I look forward to it. Thanks for all your leadership and negotiation, Kwame, and for being such a great teacher to me and so many of these aspects of, of work. I'm really grateful for it. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.